Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's episode four of Securing Bridges. That's right, we've made it to episode four now. This is so exciting. Securing Bridges, it's that show where we talk to security leaders, at least leading minds in security, about how do we build those bridges between us and the businesses we're trying to defend. So we've had a great series of guests so far, and today is no different. I am super excited to let you know we've got the wolf here today. It's Wolfgang Garlic. How are you, Wolf? Hey, great to be here. I'm glad it's four. I, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but four is my favorite number. Well, so there this, we go. This works out really well. Yeah, absolutely. See, I, I totally knew that. We totally did it on purpose that way. That's, <laughs> that's why we had to make sure to have you today. Like, uh, so, um, realizing that maybe there's like one or two people out there in the audience who haven't heard your name before. Could you? I know. I know. Right? Like this, not, this guy talks at all those conferences. He's uh, you, you do a lot of stuff. But why am I telling this story? Why don't you tell the story? I actually, I was, I was reacting the other way. I'm like, I'm pretty sure most people. So Wolfgang Gorlick, I am today an advisory CISO with Cisco Secure. I've got a background leading IT and IT security in healthcare and in financial services. Um, spent many years after that, uh, before my current position, doing consulting, including building a uh, academy apprenticeship, which I'm so proud of still. Uh, and doing, you know, identity access management and VC, so work and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's pretty much it. You know, I, I do talk a lot. I do blog a lot. I do tweet a lot. Usually, and this is why I was so excited to see this series, about exactly what uh, we're talking about here, which is the intersection between people and security. So many problems begin and end with, let's blame the user. <laughs> and how we can make better relationships and better inroads and better serve our workforces is definitely the topic that uh, is near and dear to my heart. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, there might be a reason why we asked you to join us, you know, maybe. <laughs> um, but before we dive in, because there's a lot of great topics, we're definitely going to touch on some of those key areas, I think. But Help us understand, first of all, so you said you're an advisory CISO for Cisco Secure. Yeah. Can you kind of help our audience even understand what, what that means or what it is sure. that you do? So, yeah, I, I uh, and that's that's a kind of a, a underused title. So some people think, oh, yeah, it must be a fractional CISO or a virtual CISO. Or, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> not, not those things anymore. I've done those things, but not those things anymore. Predominantly, my work is uh, advisory within uh, Cisco product teams, so helping with the security strategy, uh, helping with uh, with the vision, helping understand what the CISOs want to get done. It's about half my job, and another half of my job is, uh, you know, working with other CISOs to figure out what they're trying to accomplish, how we can get it done, what that looks like, what that works like, 
And of course, that dovetails very nicely into what I've done for a long time, which is coaching and mentoring. So I also, in addition to my day job, I do a lot of coaching, specifically with like SaaS CISOs, um, you know, having conversations and, and helping them figure out how to build their program and take it to the next level. That's awesome. And that, again, reasons why Wolf is here with us today. But yeah, I mean, having just that ability to kind of interface with a lot of different security leaders and, and have that view is so important. And I'm, I've got to imagine it gives you some pretty interesting access to kind of more like the trends of what's going on, what what CISOs are thinking about and so forth. Um, so thinking about that and just thinking in terms, I mean, now I know you said your focus is kind of financial services and healthcare and um I mean, what are you seeing right now that you think is like really something that, hey, we're really getting that right? Or, hey, there's a lot of motion that's got to happen here. I know that's like asking, <laughs> you know, can you describe, you know, like th this cloud over there? Like, I mean, you know, like white cloud in the air. I, I mean, yeah, there's a million ways this could go. But seriously, I mean, what what are is it, are there a couple themes that stand out to you right now? Yeah, you know, we've we've just come out of um, the the pandemic. And I say out of very, very cautiously. I always not want to knock on my wood desk every time I say that because I'm, I'm starting to travel again. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. It's sort of slowly getting back in. But what's happened is, is we had, you know, two years of trying to address remote work, trying to address the way that uh, things were getting done, trying to scramble in a lot of ways. So... Much of it is let's let's rationalize that, let's clean that up, let's come up with better ways to do things. But at the same time, that's driven forward. Uh, and I was talking to a banking CISO about this. He forecasts that according to where the organization's strategic roadmap was, the 2020 pulled that roadmap forward nearly a decade. So digital transformation, digital first, doing everything online, those sort of things. They had planned to be doing those in 2030, not 2020. So we've got all the shift online that we now have to secure and we have to figure out how to do identity proofing and everything around uh, and do it in a course a way that's really is enabling, not getting in the way. Um, so those are two of the broad trends, but then more globally, you know, everything that's going on uh, internationally, we, we've got to think about that. I was having another conversation with a good friend of mine. He's like, you know, as a CISO, I never thought um, like war would be part of my... Uh, my uh, you know repertoire, I never thought like hostage negotiation would be part of my repertoire. I'm like, you need a new job. <laughs> I think this is what <laughs> I, mean. yeah, I don't I don't think we, we want to do that. You know, that's not something that's in the CISSP. What happens when it's not covered in any test? No, no, we're just worried about fire extinguishers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, sorry. And sorry. <laughs> I just had so to go there. Just to derail that, when you took your CSSP, did they have uh, guard geese? I actually do not have a CISSP. I have a CISM. All right. So hats off. Hats <laughs> off to that. I am so old that, uh, you know, it's one of those things. How old are you? That when I took my CISSP, part of the test was guard geese. Where do you place a pond so the geese can react to any strangers and so that the people at the guard station can hear them? That was part of security, right? I mean, okay. 
if you think about like fire extinguishers, halon suppression data centers, guard geese, these things that we traditionally had to worry about 10 years ago, no one worries about them. Now it's everything's in the cloud. And now I got to figure out who's getting to the cloud, who's leaving it, how am I protecting that data? It really is. Uh, a, a complete revision, I would say, of the CISO role that we're seeing in 2020. Definitely. So, I mean, you, you talked about that acceleration, right? And I know I've seen that in my own organization um, where a lot of the things, I mean, what was really nice, I think for us was a lot of it was already sort of in motion, but yeah, it definitely accelerated. And, you know, we, we experienced some really good things coming from, from that in general, do you feel like that acceleration has been good? That maybe it's it's proven we can do more with technology than you know maybe we gave ourselves credit for, or that maybe we held ourselves back unnecessarily? I, I think so. I think that we we said a lot of things were culturally impossible, right? It's impossible to work remote. It's impossible to uh, deliver services digitally. No one would want to order whatever our service is from their couch at home while watching television. Clearly everyone wants to go into movie theaters. Clearly, you know, there's a lot of uh, suppositions that we had about the way the world worked that uh, with this rather hard nudge, we've had to rethink. But the other side of it that I wanna pull on is, I think that means that the, the tech teams have never been um, more in the spotlight right, in terms of how technology has been delivered, how we reacted to things, how we built things up. Um, so it's it's a great time to be in technology. And then, of course, in security, that means that uh, suddenly there's a whole bunch of new stuff we need to protect, uh, especially for those of us who are trained on geese. So, so it's, it's it, there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, um, but, uh, you know, as with anything, a lot of risk. I'm sensing all the goose honks going off on Twitter right now as we're talking about beast and security. Like, I, I feel like Ian Coldwater should be a part of this conversation. Yes. Sure. Um, but uh, no, so I mean, you brought up, okay, so tech and security is more in the spotlight than ever before. We wanted this, right? Like in security, yeah. didn't we want this? We complained. We didn't get time in the boardroom. They didn't want to listen to us. So is this is this good? Is this bad? Should we be worried that we're now in the spotlight and maybe some of our skeletons are coming to light? So I, I remember my, my first data center and I was convinced that um, if I, if only I had done it, if only I had been in the room when those decisions were made, that decision would be right. If only I had been the one to configure this, that that would have been configured. If only I had, right, and I had convinced myself of that. So my first data center, um, soup to nuts, we refreshed so much. We refreshed the storage and the compute. We refreshed the security. We, I redid my audit. I, I set up a, a GRC system. And, uh, and then very quickly, we we're still having about the same amount of problems, but suddenly there were my problems. And I'm like, wait a minute, I made this decision. This should not be happening. So you're, I think you're right in part, Alyssa, that oftentimes we say, you know, if only we were able to make the decision, we would do it differently. But when you're in that hot seat, you realize pretty quickly um, that, you know, we own it now. And there are so many different things to think about uh, and never enough time to really make the informed decision that oftentimes 
were convinced as a someone rising the ranks that we would we would do it differently. You know, with ownership comes accountability and with funding. Oh, yay. If they would just fund this program, we'd be so much more secure. Hey, I got the funding. Oh, we got breached anyway. Right. Yes. Tough message to bring to a board when, you know, you just invested all this money in my security program, but we still got breached. And, what do, and this what do is, you do in that case? This is what's interesting, right? Because uh, security in, in terms of risk management um, is is really a, a difficult dance because you don't want to be, oh, yes, we had something bad happen, but if you had spent that money, it would have been worse. How, how do you prove that? How do you demonstrate that? So one of the things I do like uh, about our, our current situation, um, having more authority, having more budget, um, the, the rising visibility of, of IT and IT security uh, is the ability to create those relationships. I think uh, you're, you're spot on in that if you're going into the board cold for the very first time and going, yes, you gave me this money, and by the way, we got compromised, uh, you're not in a good spot, right? But but if you're going in and having that FaceTime, we can start establishing relationships, we can start making connections, and we can really start operating more on an executive level and less on a technologist level. So is it just a is it a difference in messaging that we need when we go into that space? Or how do we how do we start to build that, those relationships? I mean, what's the way to do that? Especially if, like you said, you're you're coming in cold because They've never invited you to a board meeting until now we've been breached and suddenly they want to hear from you. Yeah. And so the, the messaging side is really interesting. Um, first off, I'd say it really is about establishing the relationships, understanding what people care about, understanding their point of view, understanding what analogies work with them. Uh, I was reading through uh, an assessment of the new CISO uh, earlier today. And one of the things was establishes relationships quickly. I'm like, that is good. I don't know how quick you can establish a relationship. You can't force that. It's not like a dating app with the board, but I like that idea. Now, uh, well, you know what I'm saying? You just swipe, swipe. I know. I just have like OkCupid okay or something in my I, head with board members. I look at the board members. Yeah. We share these things in common. I'm going to swipe. I'm going to have a relationship swipe quickly. left on that, CISO. Um. <laughs> but what's, what's fascinating about security people is, and I call this the if-onlys, Right. Whenever something goes wrong with the board or the executive, it's the if only. If only I had the right message. If only I had the right data. If only I had the right data in the prettiest chart. If only I had the right data in the prettiest chart that was in the colors that really conveyed the message. If only. And those if onlys are usually where we get stuck because no, no board member or CEO is going to be like, I don't trust you. I don't like you. Get out of my face. They're going to be like, you know what? That's interesting. I don't want to cut you off, but can you go get us better data? And, you know, so we get stuck thinking about that. I think there is no, one of the things that security leaders need to, to grapple with and recognize is there is no perfect message. There is no perfect data. There is no perfect graphic. It all is the right relationships and providing the right information at the right time. Well, and that's, it takes a certain level of just some understanding, some empathy, Something that I know a lot of times there's a lot of conversation about that need for empathy and security. And I, you know, we we struggle with it mightily sometimes. I mean, you walk into a board meeting and you you throw up a bunch of talk about, you know, oh well, we've got, you know, a thousand open vulnerabilities and blah, blah, blah. And I mean that that's meaningless because you don't that 
that's not the language they speak. So having that, that empathy, and it's not just to the board, right? I mean, it's, if we're talking about building bridges here, we're, we're also trying to build bridges to the people in the org and that empathy yeah. becomes important. I mean, would you agree? I would. And so let's pull on that. So there, here's something interesting that I, I've, I discovered and was thinking about recently. Um, I'm going to sidetrack. So go with me. I promise I'll get back. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, cottage core was a thing, right? Like we we're baking bread. My wife was making challah every Friday. Uh, she made great blankets. We we're all sharing these picture perfect scenes on Instagram. I wasn't because I don't share anything. But you get my point. Cottage core was a thing. And then have you heard of goblin mode? No. So goblin mode is the current thing, which is if you don't need to leave your house, if you don't need to go anywhere, you just go into goblin mode, like live in a hovel. Don't worry about the dishes. Don't worry about changing your clothes. It's fine. No one's going to notice. Put on a clean enough shirt to get on Zoom and you're good. Goblin mode. So I just learned I'm in goblin mode. This is great. <laughs> so think about this, though, from a timeline. Right within the first three months, we are in cottage core. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's new. Everything's exciting. I'm doubling down. I'm making blankets. I'm eating great bread. Uh, two years later, we're in goblin mode. Forget it. I don't care. I'm going to do the bare minimum. Don't bother me. My shirt's clean enough to be on Zoom. So, at its heart, at its heart, I think the the trajectory from cottage to goblin is exactly what kills our security program. We come in, we're all full of excitement. Let's do this thing. They're like, okay, let's get it done. You know, 90 days later, we've got this great amalgamation of everything that we've accomplished and we're bringing in the charts and the data and things have happened. And then it's a two-year project. And by year one and 18 months in to, to you know, the project, no one cares. You don't get the energy. You don't get the excitement. Um, and you're showing the same level of vulnerabilities every single time to your board so that there's no real indication that anything's happened. That is that is empathy at another level because it's not only about creating the relationship and getting excitement. It's also managing expectations and managing the fact that people really don't care for very long. <laughs> how, can we, how can we build a series of projects that stay in, in cottage mode and, and don't get gobbled? Right is is one of the things I've been thinking about quite a lot in terms of managing risk and and building those relationships and really getting things done. So that's an interesting approach. It's you know how do we how do we keep it fresh all the time? I guess then my question becomes on the flip side, how do we avoid the question of you know well how come you keep asking me for more money? <laughs> That's the yes. thing that seems to happen. We keep coming back with, how how do I do this in a way that they understand? You know, that this they understand this is what we're doing, and and they're excited about it, and they're not constantly wondering, like, wait, you you keep asking us for new projects. Why why is this not done yet? Right, and so part of it is why are why are they only seeing us when we're asking for money? What what type of relationship is that sending? if we're only going to them when we're asking for money. So I think that that's part of it is just building that relationship. Another part of it is, is what Frank just said is, how do you build and maintain that excitement? All right, and so um, I think to, to Frank's point, it's being able to tell a compelling story, a different story, so it doesn't sound like we're always saying the same thing on a regular basis. If we get a quarterly board meeting, 
Um, let's let's a not wait to that quarterly board meeting to show up and ask for money. <laughs> let's have some touch points in the middle. But B, let's uh, let's position the project so each quarter we can be like, all right, we just finished this. Now we're doing that, right? You know, I told you about this, and and these are the results from that. Here's what we saw about that, and now we're really excited to launch this new initiative. When I was doing consulting, I had a three-year roadmap that I had in three words. Like my entire roadmap was three words, but yet every quarter I had a different story that contributed to that three-year roadmap that still reflected those overall themes, but made it more exciting about what we're working on then and there. Okay, so you dropped this little nugget, but you didn't fill in the blanks. What were it's those three words? Oh, so and that's is going to this is going to change, right? So it was it was um, simplify because when I took on the practice, we had a whole bunch of it was very convoluted. Nothing was simplified. Nothing was consistent. So simplify year one, um, and then year two was uh, scale, and year three was expand. So rationalize everything we did, scale it up and add people and add, and make sure they're all following the new process and then expand it in new areas. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I and mean, that makes total sense. Okay. So, all right. So we, we, we've got these little programs and we're, we're trying to keep it fresh and we're, we're going and we're, we're bringing you messaging. So I, I have to assume like we got to improve metrics around this then too, right? Because somehow we've got to be able to talk about the successes we're having as we go. So yeah. how, how do you approach that? Or how, how are you looking at that then? Does that change the way you look at metrics at all? And maybe even some of the traditional things we do from a security program perspective? So it does. But what's interesting is, and uh, this, is, this is, I think, a generational shift. What's interesting is, you know, our, our generation, uh, we grew up with this idea that there was a truth and there was a fact and there was a statistic behind that fact and that truth. And if you shared that out, people would go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then we would have agreement. And uh, in, in today's world, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of that expertise has been eroded. A lot of that has gone out the window. And uh, lots of studies are finding that actually it's more compelling to have a story. People will believe you more if you have a personal anecdote than if you have a fact, because to my kids' generations, well, they'll say a fact and someone else will throw back another fact with a competing statistic and then you get nowhere. So when when I'm thinking about statistics and metrics, now, mind you, I should preface this to say I'm talking about statistics I'm sharing with my peers. I'm talking about statistics and metrics I'm sharing up. Um, at an operational level, everything should be reporting. Everything should be tracked. We should be doing trends. We should do it, be doing that day-to-day -day operational side. I don't want to negate that because someone will hear this and go, oh, that means we don't need to look at our SIM anymore or count fishes. No, please, still get that data. But uh, in, in a, I'm sure I told you this in the past, list, so I'm repeating for you, but for the audience, it's new, so we'll go with this, right? This is still cottage mode. Please work with me. <laughs> so I've got uh, I've got this thing I, I, I think of in my mind is like my, my story framework, right? A story should have uh, heart, uh, it should have uh, have head and it should have hands. The story should be an anecdote and something that is attention grabbing and you feel something, right? If it's about a breach, it's about a breach. It's about something your team did. It's about something your team did. It should have heart. You should have emotional connection. It should have head. Oh, by the way, yeah, that breach I just mentioned that happened in our peers, 
uh, really concerning. And what I noticed about that is it's very much in line with what we see out of the Verizon Data Breach Report, where 86% of the time the attackers are getting in just that same way. So now we've tied the anecdote to a statistic. All right, but now, now what? What do I do with that, right? What's the, what's the hands? What's the action? Hard head and hands. The action is, okay, by that way, by the way, um, you should know that. Not, not asking for money yet. You should know that. We're, we've been tracking this for a while, and my operations team is getting really good at addressing this particular. We've got a series of controls that we're putting in. You may know my big roadmap for three years is simplify, scale, and expand. But this quarter, recognizing what just happened with our peers, recognizing the, the broader trend, we're doing these two things. Love to have your support on that. That was so, okay, great, right? Like, I mean, this is, this makes a lot of sense. And I do like the story approach because I feel like that's important. I think what it does, it seems to give context and it answers the why. Like yeah. when I talk to people about how to talk with a board in particular, I always tell them like, don't tell them the what, tell them the why. You know, the, the what is only useful for giving something a label. Beyond that, it's worthless because they're not going to understand it necessarily anyway, unless one of your board members happens to be a, an active or former CISO, or they just have a really strong tech background, which a lot of boards don't, or a lot of board members don't. So, you know, I mean, it, it get past the what and get to the why, and I like that story. So now, it, I mean, as we think about that in terms of, you, you mentioned oh, well, you know, we keep seeing these attacks, you know, they keep coming in the same way. So I, I think about things like right now, ransomware is one of our big concerns across the industry, right? Yeah. And what's the most common pathway in? It's it's phishing, right? I mean, phishing attacks we're seeing are seem to be the, the most common launch pad for ransomware attacks. So We've been doing phishing exercises for a long time. We've seen some things blow up. Uh, GoDaddy, you know, during the pandemic, made maybe not the best choice right around the holidays with the, the pretext for their phishing test. So clearly something's broken there because we're still seeing, I mean, we've been doing phishing tests. God, I can think back more than a decade and we were doing phishing tests. And it, it doesn't feel like that's really stopping these these ransomware attacks or these phishing attempts in general. So what what are we doing wrong there? Well, we're we're doing them because we can measure them, right? It's it's something easy to measure. And again, we're convinced if only I have the right data and the right number, I can convince. No, but the other thing that's interesting about that is um, there's this this principle called. Uh, psychological reactants. So just as a, a tangent and uh, a side note, I'm giving a talk at RSA about uh, risk management from a psychology perspective. Hindsight is 2020 is the title. And this is one of the areas I explore. So there's this concept called psychological reactants, which is whenever you tell someone something, they're going to say no. Right? <laughs> when, when we ask people to stop smoking, when we ask people to stop eating red meat, when we ask people to wear seatbelts, when we ask people to wear masks, when we ask people to vaccinate, when we ask people to apply MFA, when we ask people to not click on phishing links, when we ask people, they say no, whatever it is. That's just that's human nature. The way around that, nine times out of 10, if you look at the studies, the way around that is if it's asked by someone that you trust, if it's someone you're friendly with, if it's someone you trust, you're much more likely to listen. You're much more likely to, to go along with that. 
Uh, now think about what you just said with the GoDaddy example. What did they do? They completely blew any trust between the employee and uh, and the workforce. I've seen other ones where they're like, oh, this happened in healthcare. Uh, I will not name and blame, but this happened in, in a, a healthcare system where they sent out a phishing pretext to the front lines saying, we know you don't have enough PPE. You know, click here and give us your username and password and we'll send out PPE to you. This happened with the vaccines when they were being rolled out. We know that you're, you're, we care about your health and we'll get you. Why are we doing that? When the most impactful thing a CISO can do within a business is to get the person who is making the change and is addressing the risk to say yes. And the biggest driver to yes is whether or not they trust us and whether or not we have compassion and empathy for each other. Why are we throwing that away so that we can report, hey, 20% of the time people click on a phishing link? This makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the GoDaddy one actually reminds me of a former employer I had where, you know, they they would do a yearly event at a local amusement park, right? And so <clears throat> same thing, you know, that event was coming up. And so what did they do? Their whole pretext of a phishing thing was here, sign up for this employee event at that park. Like they used all this insider information that, yeah, could somebody have gotten some of that as an attacker and maybe leveraged that in their pretext? Debatable, possible, yes. But yeah, it just, it leads you to, well, okay, now I don't trust you because, you know, you use this event that's like one of the nice, cool, fun things that was really unique to this organization that they did. They literally rented out this entire amusement park all to themselves and they had this day. And it just, you know, so I feel like all we do is there's, a, there's another study I'm familiar with, and I wonder this might even connect a bit with what you're looking at for your RSA talk, where... <clears throat> You know, in the healthcare system, it was a healthcare uh, conglomerate in northern New York, uh, upstate New York. They did it at some uh, some of their clinics where they had a hand washing issue, right? People oh, weren't yeah. complying with hand washing. And so first they went in and they said, we're, we're putting cameras on all the hand washing stations and we're monitoring your compliance and you're going to be in trouble. And, you know, you're going to get, you know, I think it was like, I don't remember exactly what what, what the implications were. But basically, if we see that you're not washing your hands, you're going to be in trouble. We have these cameras. We're watching you. And they saw almost no improvement in compliance. But then they went back and they put up uh, just little marquees, like the little scrolling LED marquees. And if people washed their hands when they got done, you know, and the camera registered it, it would flash up a sign, you know, or something, a message on the marquee congratulating them on doing their job. And that made a huge difference. It went from 15 to 80%. Like, so it speaks to that idea of instead of like trying to threaten people and scare them into doing things, and this is a neuroscience concept, instead of trying to scare them into doing things, if you want to motivate them, give them that carrot. They need yeah. that thing. So I'm, I'm, is that, does that kind of plug into then kind of what you're seeing as well? It, it does, but I started getting distracted by all the hand washing because there's hand washing is this really interesting thing where, you, you know, there's so, we can't even get people to wash their hands and yet we're trying to do advanced security, but <laughs> putting a pin in that, my, uh, my workout app, I, I've got a new trainer. He's got me in this new workout app. Every time I've got a hit a PR, 
at the end of my workout, it gives me like a virtual high five. And that doesn't sound like much, but man, I'll be like, you know, I could probably put on five more pounds on that bar, maybe 10 so I could get my high five. <laughs> people, love, people love incentives. If it's done well, if it's culturally aware and if it's done well, people people love incentives. Um, back to the fishing side of things, though. The other thing that's very really interesting about that is um, if you fish people, oftentimes the next time they see a fish, they actually do worse at recognizing it because you almost train to the test. And it's similar to if you think about a hand washing, if we just say, oh, you need to wash your hands once a, once a day. Well, in the healthcare system, you probably should be washing your hands and thinking about it every time you're coming to a contaminator or any number of things. But if we're only measuring them once, right, and giving them the high five or, or chastising them, um, it's not driving the behavior we want, right? Similarly, what it looks like is um, what the, the thought is emerging is the more you test someone, the more you basically train them to the test. And then real fishes that don't look like that test get by. So there's there's all sorts of downsides with uh, going after people, with being punitive, um, with trying to you know get them into a certain mindset of what the attack looks like, um, as well as you know back to your point about your your example with the uh, event. All right, so so maybe someone will do that. Well, why not use if and when they do use that as the test, right? Why is that like real world? Get your fish for free. Why why are we paying for this? There's plenty out there for free, guys. You can use them. So I think incentives. I think uh, the the structure of the training, and I also think just the the source and direction that we take can really drive an organization to be more secure and more aware or actually perform worse, even though our numbers, again, if only we have the right numbers, even though our numbers say, hey, we, we dropped it from 22% to 21%. So are we getting away from fishing altogether then? As far as like the fishing tests, I should say? Uh, I would like to. I'm, I've, I will tell you I'm on a, on a one-man mission to, to end the fishing test. I was actually just arguing about this before the show. Um, but I think more broadly, it speaks to the direction security officers need to take, and it speaks to the direction that security products need to take. The less that we blame the user and the less that we make the user the last line of defense, which is another thing we love saying, right? It's all on the user. Um, the, the better we do. Why do we set up products that are so easy to, to make mistakes? You know, we wouldn't tolerate that in our cars. You know, why, why do we tolerate it in our IT? Ooh. Oh, you touched on a topic I'm going to have to steer away from. But the, yeah, um, there is, there does seem to be a weird standard that way that if, you know, our technology is innovative and exciting and useful, that somehow the quality of the security and privacy of it seems to just we kind of forget about it. Like we, we, you know, we, we let it go away. And anybody who follows me on Twitter knows my personal position on Apple and these flipping air tags, right? And they're not the only ones that make them. They're not the only ones that have problems, but Apple are the, obviously the most accessible and they've, they've gotten a lot of abuse. Well, not abuse, but they've gotten a lot of criticism from me on this, but you bring up that interesting point. It's like, why don't we, design these things better on the front end and 
you know, why is it that we end up with users and relying on that piece as like, they're our, they're our best line of defense? Yes and no. I mean, I, I get the, the, the intent there is that everybody, we want everybody to have that mindset. We want everybody to be just like we are in security, eternally paranoid and whatever, right? I mean, there's a certain reality to that. But at the end of the day, I, I think we've seen, it's been proven that people's minds, if that isn't their job function, when they're at their job, they're not, you know, you've got to give them the tools that help trigger that awareness, I guess. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious where you see maybe that changing in the future. So a, a few different ways, but I want to, I want to tease on two things you said. One about uh, the Apple tags, and then the other about uh, getting people to think about security. So uh, in terms of product, just in terms of, of product, if you are listening to this and if you're like, hey, I want to do better, I want to address some of the things Alyssa just mentioned, I want to give a shout out to uh, Eva Penzimog. And if I've said her name wrong, you can call me Gerlich next time you see, which is also not how you say my name. <laughs> so, But Eva Penzimog did this great book called Design for Safety which looks at all the ways a product manager should think about how a product could be used and abused uh, by stalkers, by any number of threats. So Design for Safety, I wanna give a plug to that book because it's such a good concept and covers exactly what you're saying. However, that's if you're building the product. If you're on a board, right? So one of my one of the boards I'm on, uh, she just stepped down, I'm so sad. She was uh, the, the CFO of the, the organization and the best CFO I've, I've ever seen. And she's in accounting, right? So you would think my job is to make other people think about accounting. I don't, I got into the computer, so I didn't have to think about accounting. My, my family's accountants, money does nothing for me. I really, as long as I got more coming in than going out, I'm happy. Uh, but she was always fantastic in sitting down with us at the board and saying, all right, here's the narrative, here's the numbers, but here's the narrative. Here's the couple of things that you should be aware of. Here's some risks I'd like your input on. Here's the decision I want made. And she didn't sit there and go, I want you to care about accounting. And I think too oftentimes in security, we forget that our jobs as CISOs is to highlight risks and help the board make good decisions. Our job is not to try and make everyone care about security. Our job is to do security. <laughs> that's not that's not their job. And we, we sometimes uh, lose sight of that. And it only makes sense because we aren't so incredibly passionate about uh, building good systems, building unbreakable systems. Uh, it only makes sense, I suppose, that we, we feel that like everyone should be that passionate, but maybe take it down a notch. <laughs> maybe take it down a notch and uh, and look for ways that we can care about what we need to care about, but we can explain at a level that makes sense. And that's where the, the battle seems to, in my opinion, get won. Like, I, I think when we start to move to that mindset, um, people, I've, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, you know, security tends to be a little bit arrogant at times. We, we say, you know, security is everybody's responsibility, but then we don't take responsibility for their part of the business, right? Like here, you do my job for me because it's important that everybody does it, but I'm not going to worry about making your product development faster. I'm not going to help you worry about saving, you know, costs or positioning us better in the marketplace. And that's where I think, you know, it feels like we could probably do more. Yeah, we, we can be a little arrogant and we come about it naturally. In in nineteen 
93, I think, in the 1990s, uh, the book on Pearl came out. And so this book on Pearl comes out. And in the beginning, do you remember this book, Alyssa? Yes, but we were just talking about this on another call not too long ago. Were we? Okay, good. So it's not just me. In the beginning, it's like, wizards, gather around. I shall teach you alchemy. I shall teach you the dark arts. I shall <laughs> teach you how to string together little bits of pearls to make magic happen and make the machines dance. We came up, our generation came up in this world that if you knew how to turn on a computer and type in things into command mode, you were God. And now we've had to realize that, you know, 30 years later, <laughs> the Not technology isn't doing that good. Let's, let's be honest. The decisions we made weren't that good. Uh, some were great. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, we have to own what we have to own. And also, at the end of the day, it's still people. People for generations that are using technology. And today, IT is really no different than the car or the, the printing press before it. And so it's it's a hard shift to start off as a wizard and and become a mortal. It's a hard shift to to become compassionate and, and to take on a servant uh, servant mindset. But I think it's one that our industry absolutely has to take. I'm gonna tell you what, that is like the perfect way to close out this show because we are at that time. I mean, I, Every time I talk to you, I feel like I, it could just go on forever. And I'm, I'm really hoping that I see you in Vegas again this year and we, we can go back out on a balcony at some hotel somewhere with drinks and just talk. But for now, we've got to wrap it up. So thank you, Wolf. I Every bit as great a discussion as I would have thought it would be. I mean, we had security geese. We had wizards. We had alchemy. This is – it doesn't <laughs> get any better. So uh, thank you so much. And thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed yet another episode of Securing Bridges. We've got lots more coming your way. Um, you know, uh, Wolf mentioned he'll be speaking at RSA. We're looking at doing a live show from RSA. We'll see working on a special guest or two or three for that. So, uh, you know, definitely stay tuned. But uh, otherwise, we will be back here every Wednesday doing the same thing, talking to great folks every week. Next week, our guest is Jeff Mann. So if you guys know Jeff, incredible, incredible security personality, one of those people who can actually make compliance cool, um, because I know compliance gets a bad, bad rap all the time. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. So be sure to come back. Remember, this episode will be available in podcast form in a couple days. Go to the ITSP website, share it with your friends, share it with your colleagues. Hopefully, we can make security just a little bit easier of a place to be professionally. But thank you so much, everybody, for joining us and helping build those bridges and get them secure. I'm Melissa Miller. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.